So uh, it's been a little while since we have uh, been together, especially in our study of Philippians. Remember that book? (laughs) Anybody remember those days? It's, uh, I think it was back in um, November sometime when we had our last uh, experience with that. We took a break from the series, of course, to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ in the Christmas season. And then, as Cynthia alluded, uh, we were privileged to be away for uh, the month of January, and we just deeply appreciate that. Um, Many of our denominational leaders were at the first uh, part of our experience. We drove uh, to Florida. That's a long way, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> and um, had some uh, meetings there in Orlando called The Gathering. Every four years that happens. And they come from literally all over the world uh, to be a part of um, speaking uh, engagements, uh, workshops, breakout sessions, all of those kinds of things. And so uh, we enjoyed being in those sessions. Um, I, in one of the workshops, I was seated beside uh, Jan Schmidt, our former uh, member here, who she and her husband went on to uh, become the general superintendent and wife of the Wesleyan denomination. And that was fun to see Jan, and so I brought her greetings, and she sends their love back to us. And uh, just really great to see old friends uh, from literally around the world. And so we thank you for that opportunity. It was good. We returned after the first half of uh, the month uh, to be greeted by the North North Pole that settled in on Grant County. <laughs> and that curtailed the last half of our plans. And one of them, just to mention one, was to head north to uh, Minneapolis and the days that we had planned and were able to do that it was minus 26, below zero, not chill factor, but literally minus 26 in Minneapolis. And that place was virtually shut down and our kids were kind of bunked in. And so we, we weren't able to make that trip, but we're very thankful. We, we just hung tight with each other and spent time praying and reading and enjoying one another's presence. And it's just really great. So I want to say thank you. I also want to give a big shout out to um, and thank yous to uh, the ministry staff for carrying on while we were away. And I've had many reports from uh, numbers of you who said you just very much enjoyed uh, the messages that were shared by the various staff members. And I just want to say thank you to each of the staff who uh, did their part. And not just those who spoke, but those who continue to carry on the ministry. And so shout out to, to all of you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I want us to turn in our Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And we're just going to read one verse this morning. It's a very simple outline, but it's, a, but it's a, an outline of tremendous importance. And, and hopefully you'll find of great depth as it helps us march together in the same direction, reminding ourselves of certain truths that we hold, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we hold dear uh, to our hearts. And so I want to share a little bit of that with you this morning. And I, I have to say that um, as you're turning in your Bibles, uh, we're all kind of missing Peter this morning, Peter Retz, and uh, appreciated Josh's words and um, just the spirit and tone of, of the service this morning. I think it would have been um, encouraging uh, to Peter. And uh, we, as I prayed yesterday, Lord, uh, you're going to have to send us four or five people to take his place because he could do a lot of different things. 
And, uh, and so I'm sure God will fill that slot. But we, we really appreciate Peter. And I know that you'll continue to pray for Elaine, his wife Elaine, and the family as they go through these uh, early days of missing him. So Philippians chapter 4, one verse, verse 1. And here we go. Therefore, this is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Do you notice he said beloved twice there? So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before, if you look at this verse now, Take just, we'll keep that on the screen for just a moment. Before we can look at uh, some of the pieces of this verse and try to, try to uh, unpack it a bit, we need to look at the phrase where it, it, it says, uh, the phrase that, that says, in this way, in this way. We need to look at that because it helps us to understand uh, a little bit of, where Paul's coming from in terms of, of the background out of which he's saying this verse. To, to just catch it cold, it doesn't uh, do justice. And so I, I went back, uh, as we should always do, when there's a therefore or in this way or whatever, we need to go back and see what's the context. And so I went back into chapter 3, and uh, it helped me to understand what he was saying about in this way. The question that we should ask this morning is, in what way? In this way, well, what does he mean? What way? What way is he talking about? And so to get that, uh, I found in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, something that may not make immediate sense, but I want us to think about it a moment. In what way, verse 1, in what way? So here we go, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me pause. Peter doesn't have to wait anymore, does he? Peter Retz doesn't have to wait anymore. We do. We're still here. He got released. He got promoted. And he's in the presence of the Lord, the scripture says. But for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait, eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. So, so when you think about this, and I, I hadn't planned to say this, but I think it makes perfect sense in light of Peter's homegoing, that uh, Peter, Peter, Peter was in a humble state. A disease had racked his body. But... There's a body of, of Jesus' glory that Peter is now experiencing. And how is he able to experience that? He's able to experience that because of the power that Jesus has, even to subject all things, even disease, and even death to himself. So he's saying, in light of that, and our citizenship being in heaven, then interpret verse 1. Think about verse 1. So a translation of that might be something like this. Remember that we are all only temporarily on this earth in this format. It's temporary. We forget it sometimes because we're busy doing life. 
But the truth of it is this is temporary. Here's another remember. Remember that Jesus is going to take all that's currently wrong and turn it to the good, which is exactly what he did for Peter. There's no more Parkinson's racking his body and monkeying around with his muscles and his ability to think and all these things and to move and whatever. That's all going to, all all that's wrong in your life and mine, all that's wrong in your world, all that's wrong at the place where you work, all that's wrong in your marriage, all that's wrong in your friendship relationships, all that's wrong between you and your coach, all that's wrong between you and your parents, all that's wrong with the Democrats and the Republicans, all that's wrong in Washington, D.C., all that's wrong in this world, Jesus is going to turn it to the good. Can we get an amen on that? That's good. Here's another remember. Remember that Jesus has the power to change us and the world around us. One of the things we were free to talk about yesterday in the the, uh, memorial service was that there was a period of time when Peter, I'm not talking uh, uh, behind his back, Uh, he would tell you this. He told many of you this many times. There was a period of time in my life when I wasn't spiritually grounded. I should have been because I, I, I was taught better. But like many people, I drifted. I drifted. When I was out on the road and playing music and all this, whatever, I developed an addiction that was not he- healthy and helpful for my life. And I was not able to shake it until Jesus Christ came into my life. And so let's remember that Jesus has the power to change us and the world around us. And so whatever's wrong in your world, and that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of right things, but I can't imagine that there's anybody who would say, I don't have anything that would be better in my life. I can't think of anything. Most of us have something that would make life better when we stop and think about it. And Jesus has the power to change that. And we don't have to always wait till we get to heaven for that. Amen? Peter had to wait on the Parkinson's, but he didn't have to wait on the other addiction. God gave him victory, and he spent many years enjoying the power of Christ to change his life. And so if you got something that's hassling you and bugging you and giving you heartburn and heartache and discouragement and disillusionment and all that sort of thing, remember, Paul says, remember Jesus has the power to change us and the world around us. And then one more remember. Remember, church... That he's coming any day. He is coming any day. So in the light of that, he says, and I don't know if we can put the verse back up there, verse 1. But in light of that, yeah. He says, in light of that, stand firm. In light of that, stand firm. So this validates why we have such an important guiding value for our ministry, literally painted on the walls of our church in the sanctuary. Right there it is. It says, stand and shine. Stand firm. That's really, that's the heart of what that's about. It's not just a decoration to fill in a big blank wall. It is something to remind us every day that we are to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm, stand up, shine for God in this strange day and age in which we are living. Stand up. That's the, that's the title of the message this morning. Stand up, stand firm. Remember that those of us who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus are citizens of a world yet to come. 
And we can't afford to become mesmerized by the culture of smartphones, tweets, and all the, all the very sophisticated uh, communication uh, tools that are going on in our world today to contradict oftentimes the way God wants us to live our lives. And so that's how I've approached this verse today. That there, there's a, a way God wants us to live our lives and how the culture is speaking into our lives in many ways contradicts how, how God wants us to live. So we meet here today to remind ourselves, stand and shine, stand firm, stand up for Jesus in this culture. So in the short time we have this morning, let me simply state three things for our spiritual instruction. Here they are, three things. I'm going to just briefly touch on each one, and then you can meditate and think upon them as the Lord uh, brings them to your mind. And here they are. Number one, stand up for love. Stand up for love. The second one is stand up for all races. Stand up for all races. And number three, Stand up for life. Stand up for life. So here we go. Number one, stand up for love. February is the love month in America, is it not? Huh? Yeah, is everybody taking care of that? Get, you know, it's coming up this week, right? Okay. So Paul calls the folks in the Philippian church beloved. Beloved, that word in the Greek, the root word there is from the uh, word agape. And you've heard me talk about this many times and you've studied, which is the highest form of loving another person that there is, that we know about in this world. And God showed it to us through the love Jesus Christ had for us. It's a love that is, this is interesting now. So if you're, if you're of dating age, and you are of a mind to date someone, if and when you find someone worth dating, this kind of a love is a love that is less concerned with our own needs and more concerned with the person that we are loving. That's agape love. It's, you know, we, we want something back in a relationship. Yes, of course we do. And we all want to be loved and we all want to have attention and all that sort of thing. But the highest, purest form of love is being loved by someone who is loving me and being more concerned about my needs than they are about their needs. And so if you are of a dating age and dating interest, don't give in to anybody that you don't sense is willing to love you like that. Or that you're willing to love like that. Hello? You'll be a whole lot happier if you're married to someone who cares more about your needs than they care about their own. And when we're not measuring up, that we're willing to forgive one another when we don't hit the mark. He's referring to the people in the life of the church when he calls them beloved. He, he says, my, my joy, my crown. You know, this is, this is really unique and special that I, I'm so proud. And, and, you know, when we saw people down at the gathering in Orlando that we hadn't seen for years and years, and it's like, it was just warm fuzzies all over of people that we have experienced the love of God with, and sometimes shared in the same spiritual foxhole together, and and uh, just prayed for one another, and people who prayed for us, and whatever. 
It's the same depth of love that we would expect between a husband and a wife. That word beloved. He said, you're my beloved. Paul says to the members of the church, you are my beloved. Like a husband loves his wife and like a wife loves her husband. That kind of love. It's a deep felt Highly regarded commitment to behaving in a way that puts our best foot forward toward the object of our love. So, uh, in 1 John, we're reminded of this kind of a love in the life of the body of Christ, in the life of the church. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Consider this. Beloved, (laughs) there's that word again, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we do what? Love one another. And then Jesus said something pretty important about this as well in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35. Listen, these are the words of Christ, our master. He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by the demonstration of our loving one another, by this, all men, women, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I said it like three times. How important is that? In the body of Christ, that we love one another. Fortunately, he didn't say like one another. He didn't say we had to like everybody. But we do have to love one another. Can I get an amen on that? Amen? So in view of the fact that we're not here for long, see, in view of this, in view of the fact that we're just temporary here, and in view of the fact that Jesus, by his power and authority, is going to set everything right according to his pleasure, and in view of the fact that Jesus is our supreme leader, we salute, love one another with a self-sacrificing love, In your marriage. Love one another with a self-sacrificing love in your friendships. In your friendships. Love one another with a self-sacrificing love in your family units. In your home and with your aunts and your uncles and your grandmas and your grandpas and your cousins and your sons and your daughters and your parents. And love one another with an agape self-sacrificing love in your family. And most of all, for each of us in the church of Jesus Christ, which represents the bride of Christ. Paul says to the Philippian church, to the members, you're my joy and you're my crown. I love you like a husband loves his wife. He had tremendous love for the people in the church. And that's how we should be. So February's the love month in America. Now, for those of us uh, who are in a love relationship, especially for those of us who are in a marriage, 
I would say this morning, and I say this to myself, to all of us who are married or in a love relationship, maybe you're not married yet, but you know that you're in love and it's a, it's a proper love, let's step it up. Let's see if we can't step it up a little bit in our marriages. I think it's really quiet when we talk about this. But we, uh, we're, of all people, we should be willing and able, with God's help, to step it up. Some of the wives in the marriages that we have in the life of the church need to step it up with their husbands. I don't, I, it's not my job to tell you what to do or what those areas are, but, but God, the Holy Spirit will. And, and, so, and, so, and, and some, of the, some of the husbands, some of the husbands need to step it up. So you heard, you heard my wife come up. I didn't know she was going to come up and say this, but she's been saying this. You know, I had my husband's undivided attention for 30 days. And I so enjoyed that. Okay, so when I heard her say that, I thought, do I, I must need to step it up somewhere. <laughs> Would that be right? Okay, but, but I don't think you were saying, uh, don't keep, don't keep the church and the responsibilities that have been laid upon your shoulders spiritually. Don't forget about those. Not asking you to forget about that. Not, not asking you to throw the church, uh, folks out and the ministry of the kingdom out just for her sake. That's not what she was saying. She was saying that in the midst of juggling all of that, just don't forget that I need to be special in your life and make sure I I know that. And so I took note of that and it made me happy because, because by allowing us to be away, you helped me step it up and I didn't even know I was stepping it up. Okay, so but now I do know. And so I need to not drift back to maybe where I had been at times. And whatever, that's enough of that personal stuff. But Because I can talk about your stuff. See, I know a few things, and some of you, t- some of you tell me stuff, you know. And so some of you, I know stuff that you don't know I know. Okay, so, so just be careful with me, okay. <laughs> so let's show the world, okay, let, let, we had some fun with that. But let's show the world that disciples of Jesus know how to love their husbands and their wives they know how to do it, and they know how to do it well because they understand agape love. Amen? That's, that's, what, that's the point. Did you know, this is a little known fact, and, and uh, some of you young people, you want to keep this in mind when you're thinking about dating, especially the girls. But did you know that most daughters <clears throat> excuse me, marry a husband who is just like their dad? Did you know that? It's a known fact. Most daughters marry a husband that's very much like their father, like their dad. And so, apparently that's why mothers cry at weddings. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. So, <laughs> so, so here's a good deal. So, you know, when, if you're dating and, and, and all, so what you want to tell, what you want to tell your daughters especially is, look, I love your father. And uh, he's great. He's tremendous. But when you go to, to decide, yes, this is the one, make sure he's not doing this, 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 and this. Okay? Because 
uh, well, we're not having much fun with that, and we're working on that, okay? So you can kind of, you know, learn from trial and error and experience, whatever. Anyway, have some fun with that. So Paul would say this, that we can't, listen, we can't preach the love of Jesus to Grant County if Grant County cannot see how we love one another when they come and visit our church. We can't preach the love of Jesus to Grant County if if they don't see the love of Jesus at work or in our neighborhood or in how we talk to people. It's hard to preach the love of Jesus when it's not being demonstrated. So 1 John 4, 12 starts off telling us that no one has seen God at any time. Remember I said that? It said, it said nobody's seen God yet. Not with their naked eyes. Can't, they die. No one has seen God at any time, the scripture says. People can't see God. He's invisible to people. He's invisible to me. I, I, I would like to see God right this moment. I'd preach better if I could see God right this moment. But I can't see him visibly with my eye. So when we refrain from character assassination, when we refrain from gossip, when we refrain from things like slanderous talk or mean-spirited behavior and the like, we're literally giving the world a picture of God when we do that. Otherwise, he's invisible to the world. So there's no room in our lives for bullying. There's no room for snottiness in a marriage. There's no room for bad behavior in a friendship. There's just no room for that in a family unit, and especially in the foyer of the church. And that's a symbolic statement. The church should be gifted at loving one another. Can you get an amen on that? You know, it's just a reminder for all of us. So, during love month, commit to being a more loving spouse. Commit to be becoming a more loving friend to someone. Think about committing to be a more loving family member. And especially, how can I be, how can you be a more loving member in the life of the church? All right, number two. Stand firm. Stand up for all the races. Stand up for all the races. I see that in that verse. No bigotry allowed in the mindset of disciples of Christ. No bigotry, zero, zero tolerance for bigotry in the life of a disciple. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple was because of racial bigotry. The money changers were cheating the poor. They were cheating the less fortunate. And when class distinctions and racial bigotry shows itself, when that happens... What we see in the scriptures is that Jesus is at his most agitated expression. He took a, he turned the tables over and took a whip of some sort and he said, get out of here with that, that bigotry. You're, you're changing the money here in the house of God and you are doing it at the, the expense of the poor and the needy who are coming to try to satisfy God's laws. 
to try to satisfy God's, God's rules in coming to the temple and making sacrifice. And many of these people are as poor as they could be, and you are not only cheating them, you are cheating them in the house of God. So you have to read between the lines a little bit to catch that. It looks like, oh, oh you're, you're having commerce in the life of the church. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that was the point. John 2, 15, 16. Let's just review it. And he made a scourge of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. This is Jesus. And to those who were uh, were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Now, I want us to notice something he didn't say. He didn't say conducting business was a sin. It doesn't say that. What does business do but make a profit? You can't stay in business if you don't make a profit. Hello? The world turns on business and making profit. So making profit is not the point. What's the point? Well, that's what I'm trying to get at. Making a profit in God's house at the expense of the poor and the needy who are trying their best to fulfill their obligations to God, that's the sin that really got to Jesus. And we, he did things that we didn't expect the Son of God might do. This has to do with a mindset, to me, of bigotry. There's no place in the kingdom of God for racial prejudice. No place. Now, this is Black History Month. Did you all know that? This is Black History Month. Amen? And we ought not let that go because that's a reminder to us of a lot of failure on the part of people, on the failure on the part of the church of Jesus Christ and Christians literally around the world. And it isn't all fixed and healed yet. That's my opinion. But that's what I think. And so this being Black History Month, it seems appropriate that we remind ourselves out of this passage that God has given us of a commitment to practice justice and integrity within the context of the many expressions of racial and ethnic diversity that God has created. He created the diversity. Amen? So, let me just share a little tidbit with you. And you can go home and do your own research because most of us have access to the internet and you can do this. But you can be proud of the fact that the early leaders in this Wesleyan denomination, just to speak of one, you can be proud of the fact that there were early leaders in the Wesleyan church who were people who rejected racial bigotry. Early on, they rejected it as a, as, as a, a way to, to uh, follow the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ. So you're going to see a portrait. We'll put it up on the screen here. The portrait that you see is a man named Orange Scott. Strange name. It could have been red, purple, green. It's orange. Okay. It's easy to remember Orange Scott. So what about Orange Scott? Well, to quote from our own Wesleyan history, 
And Dr. Lee Haynes, how many of you remember that name? Dr. Lee Haynes, the general superintendent? Now he's with Jesus, okay? So he was a friend of mine and had him preach in my churches over the years, whatever. And so he helped us uh, to study up the history of our Wesleyan denomination. And here's an exact quote about Orange Scott and about this issue of, uh, of bigotry. And I quote, Orange Scott became convinced that holy hearts... Now, holy, don't, don't confuse holy with perfect. Let's understand, there's no perfect except Jesus. We all are going to make mistakes and fall short, whatever. But we are to be like Christ. We are to be like God. We are to emulate God who is holy. So, Orange Scott became convinced that holy hearts should result in holy lives. And that holy men, women, should seek to bring an end to social evils such as slavery and intemperance. Intemperance, if you want a little dictionary definition, is a lack of of, uh, restraint. In other words, there should be restraint against this mindset of bigotry and racial prejudice. There should be restraint against it. And back to the quote, when his efforts to reform the existing church were rejected, he was a part of another denomination at that time, when his efforts to reform the existing church point, break in the quote here, where there was softness on slavery, softness toward it, back into the quote, he took he took the lead, no, when his efforts to reform the existing church were rejected, he took the lead in establishing the Wesleyan Methodist connection of America. And that's That's the root of where we began. Unquote now. So, this one leader, along with several others, and you can read about the history of it, took a stand against this mindset in the culture of racial bigotry and stood against it and was criticized and persecuted for it at the time. It's many years ago. But we can be proud of the fact that we had leaders who were trying to take the scriptures and apply them as Jesus would have wanted. And you can read more about his influence along with many others who are reminders today that we need to be a people of love for one another regardless of our countries of origin or the color of our skin. Can I get an amen? So you say, well, don't we know all that? Hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully our young people are being taught that. Hopefully. But if they're not, I said it. And I said it not because you have to agree with it because I said it, but I said it so you'll think about it. And I said it so that we can remind ourselves to walk in unity together on these things that matter standing up in our culture. Stand firm. Stand up. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we will stand up and we will shine For all races, because they are a part of the beloved. Amen? Okay, good. So, stand up for love. Everybody step it up. Stand up for all races. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. Okay? And thirdly, it's only 1130. I'm on the last point, aren't you? Everybody said amen? Okay. (laughs) Then thirdly, stand up. For life. Stand up for life. 
While we were away this past month, there were some attempts made to convince our culture that what God values is not what we value as a people, as Americans. That what only God can create within the womb somehow belongs to us to decide its value to live or to die, even after birth, according to some. This is inherently wrong and evil, and it has nothing to do with politics. And I'm sure that we'd asked Pastor Jim to speak to this subject on the normal Sanctity of Life Sunday, and you had to close the services that Sunday because of weather. And so, so I know he had studied on that and had some scriptural truth on that, and I know that he brought that truth to you. So we made, we made exception. I, we, we, we allowed for another time for him to be able to share with that, and I appreciate him bringing those truths forward. And I'm sure that he helped us to be reminded from God's Word that this isn't about politics at all. It is inherently wrong and evil for man and woman to decide that what God, only God can create and belongs to Him, that it is up to us to decide the value of it. The governor of New York and others is wrong when it comes to his leadership on life. He's wrong. According to God's Word, he's wrong. The church and individual Christians must look at the last guiding value painted on the walls of this sanctuary and stand up for life. And there will be persecution that will come along. And when we stand, uh, to be sure, we will feel it. But in view of the fact, in view of these things... Where we started, in view of the fact that we won't be here all that much longer, we won't. And in view of the fact that Jesus is going to set things right very soon, and in view of the fact that He is coming soon, He's counting on us to show our beloved kind of love toward the infants that he places in our wombs and in our arms. Amen? So, stand up for love. Stand up for all races. Stand up for life. Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, Pastor Tim is saying to you, my beloved, Whom I long to see, we were gone for four weeks, and now we get to see you again. You're my joy. You are my crown. Sometimes it doesn't always feel that way, trying to live together and trying to figure life out, trying to decide things and try to make things better and to follow Jesus and to correct one another and listen to the Holy Spirit and all of that. But our joy and our crown, we are each other's joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Love like you've never loved this week. Be careful and value all people that God has created, regardless of country of origin, regardless of economic circumstances, regardless of color of skin, regardless of all of these things. Stand up for people, the people of God that he created and love them. And then make sure that you're taking care of those who cannot stand up.
for themselves. Amen. So Heavenly Father, uh, this simple outline, simple things, uh, things that um, I would love to have just taken another 20 or 30 minutes to just open up the scriptures to show uh, where we get these thoughts and these ideas. That the, the, this is not one man's idea. Lord, I would, never, I would never have confidence to stand in this pulpit and give these folks just my ideas. And I, I pray that I have not perverted any truth that you wanted them to see. And I pray that I've spoken plainly, openly, authentically, honestly, truthfully, and appropriately. In any place that you need to fix something, please do it, Lord. And I pray in closing that you would forgive us for not paying attention to love. Sometimes in our relationships, in the life of the church, we haven't always paid attention to love. We've paid attention to our opinions. We've paid attention to performance or lack of. But we have not paid as much attention to love sometimes as we should have in the body of Christ so that people can see God who is invisible for now. And they can see how we loved one another. Forgive us for not paying attention to the love we should have shown in some of our family units. And there's hostility and there's division and there's strife in many of our homes. And we don't really know how to fix it and how to get there. And sometimes maybe we haven't helped it. And sometimes with our friendships, we've been unkind to one another. And we've not been quick to go and apologize and to ask forgiveness or to be sensitive about somebody else's thoughts or feelings. Forgive us. Sometimes we have not been sensitive to the partner you've given us for our life. And we have been self-centered and we have not always paid attention to the needs of the other one more than our own. Please forgive us and help us to step it up. Starting on the way home from church today, help us to step it up. Help us to step it up in our culture and to stand firm. Father, forgive us as a culture and as a people, especially here in the United States of America who have had access to the scriptures ever since our beginning. And we've been able to read your word of truth. And we know better than to have treated other cultures and other races and other skin colors We've we've known better than to have treated some people the way they've been treated. Or we sat quiet and didn't, didn't stand up. We didn't stand firm and help make a difference. And so please forgive us for this lack of restraint that sometimes we have we have done because we were cowardly or we weren't paying attention. Help us to be people of truth and we don't stick stick people in the eye with a stick, but we we woo them through the beloved, the love of God, while we stand firm for the things that make you happy. Forgive us for racial bigotry. And I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for the great sin of deciding who lives and who dies in the womb. Somehow we got the idea that we did the creating. Somehow we got the idea that a nuisance is a nuisance or ruins our plans or our projections or it 
affects our finances or it forces us to think more maturely about a relationship with the opposite sex than we have been. And Father, forgive us for all that nonsense. And I pray that as Kayla and Jessica lead our children and our young, young, adult, our young people and our young adults, that we will not be overwhelmed by the uh, cultural uh, wrongdoings that we see, the lies that are out there, that this church and other life-giving churches would always be reading the Word of God and understanding the truth behind the way that we are supposed to live. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help these spiritual truths to go deep into the marrow of our bones so that we will not give in to less than what you have prepared for us. We thank you that you are coming soon, Jesus. We thank you that you're going to set everything right one day. And we thank you that while we're waiting, that you've sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us be overcomers, even against the things that are that, that we're dealing with while we're waiting. And we pray that you will strengthen this church because there's stuff we see, Father, that a lot of others don't seem to see. And, and we want more people to be exposed to these truths and to walk with us. And so, Lord, expand our territory. Could we all agree to ask the Lord, expand our territory, expand Lakeview Ministries' territory, cause people to be drawn into this place because they want and need to hear these truths and help us to walk in unity. And may they, the people of Grant County and whoever comes into this place, be overwhelmed by the sense of love that they feel in this place because we guarded our tongue and we guarded our thought life and we guarded our behavior and we loved one another into a better place through prayer and understanding and reading the Word of God. And so thank you, Father, for these truths. And may you bless your people this week as we go out to serve you. And all of God's people said together, Amen and praise the Lord. Now, friends, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't have him in your heart, you need to talk with one of the pastors or somebody here. Come see us. Call us on the phone. Send us an email, whatever. We would be glad to sit down and show you from this word of God how you can be saved from your sins. Know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you'll be glad that you did. All right, let's all stand together. And uh, let's put a great, uh, I'm going to love better. I'm going to love better, starting right now, smile on our faces. And those of us who are married and standing beside a spouse, let's look right into their eyes and say, I'm going to step it up with God's help. I'm going to love you better during love month, especially. Okay, God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.